Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on the book of Ezra, and to that end I invite you to turn with me again to Ezra chapter 5 as we read the verses 1 and 2, and these two verses also form the text for the sermon. Let us hear the word of God. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedach, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, from time to time, every believer in Christ experiences, to one degree or another, a form of spiritual inertia. And by that I mean we don't make a lot of progress, spiritually speaking. We don't spend a lot of time reading the scriptures, a chapter or a few verses now and again, but we get nothing out of it. We don't pray, and when we do pray, after only a minute or two, we seem to run out of things to say. We go to church, but we look for every excuse to stay home. And when we are in church, our minds wander, and as a result, we get nothing out of the service. We come to a standstill. And in times like that, we need to be revived. We need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. We need the Word to speak to us with power. The people of Judah during the days of Ezra experienced something similar. They began well, to be sure. They left behind their family and their friends, their homes and their businesses in Babylon. They packed up all of their belongings and made the long journey to the land of Canaan a land which most of them had never seen before or were so young when they left they don't remember it at all. Soon after arriving, they built an altar to the Lord. They resumed offering sacrifices to God. They observed the Feast of Tabernacles. They laid the foundations of the temple. They even began reconstructing the walls of Jerusalem. But then the trouble started. The people of the land, the ancestors of the Samaritans, offered to help them rebuild the temple. Now, at first glance, that appeared to be a very generous offer. After all, rebuilding the temple was a major undertaking, and the Jews needed all the help they could get. And what is more, the Samaritans' offer came without any strings attached. They did not ask for anything in return. They did not even ask for payment. And yet in spite of this, the leaders of the Jews refused this offer, and they did so for several reasons. First of all, although the Samaritans worshipped God, they also worshipped the gods of the nations from which they came. 
They were afraid that if they accepted the Samaritan's offer, they might be led back into idolatry, which is precisely what led them to being taken captive by the Babylonians in the first place. Secondly, they rightly perceived that if they allowed the Samaritans to help them rebuild the temple, then they would have to allow them to worship there as well. And over time, they would be assimilated and God's plan of redemption would come to nothing. And the leaders saw this and therefore they rightly refused. Now, as we might have expected, the Samaritans did not respond very well to this refusal. We read in chapter 4, verse 4, that the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So the Samaritans did everything in their power to put a stop to the work, and they were very successful. For we read in chapter 4, verse 24, Thus the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased. And it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Sixteen years passed, and no work was done on the temple. The Jews who had begun so well and with such promise experienced a prolonged period of spiritual inertia. But then the Lord did something amazing. He caused the work of the temple to resume. And it's to that subject that we turn our attention with God's help today. The theme for the sermon is the rebuilding of the temple resumed. We'll consider, first of all, the catalyst the Lord used, and secondly, the response the Lord produced. I said already that some 16 years had passed since the time that the foundation of the temple was completed. During this time, the people of Judah resumed their daily lives. They built homes, they started businesses, they planted crops, they married and had children. All the while, the temple remained unfinished. Now to God, this was completely unacceptable. God wanted his temple to be rebuilt. He wanted his people to worship him in his temple. He wanted them to offer their sacrifices, to observe the various feast days, to gather together, to hear his word, all in preparation for the coming of his son into the world. He also once again wanted to dwell with and among his people, which he did in the temple. So what did God do? Well, he could have stirred up the heart of Darius, who was the ruler at that time, to allow and even command the people to resume building, as he did with Cyrus some many decades earlier. But he didn't do that. Instead, God raised up two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, and he called them to preach. And so we read in Ezra 5, verse 1, Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. 
Now, we don't know much about these two men. Haggai's name means festal, suggesting he was born during a religious feast. He was probably a priest, but we don't know anything else about him. We do not know who his father was, or where he was from, or anything else about him. Zechariah, whose name means Yahweh remembers, was the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, as we read in Zechariah 1, verse 1. Now, Iddo is listed in Nehemiah 12, verse 4, as one of the priests who returned to the promised land from Babylon. And that means Zechariah was a priest. In fact, most scholars believe he was part of a very prominent priestly family. Now, both Haggai and Zechariah were contemporaries of each other. That means they prophesied at around the same time. What is more, our text says that the God of Israel was over them. That means they were sent by God, and the message they proclaimed was from God. To put it another way, these men were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, the first of these two men to prophesy was Haggai. According to Haggai 1 verse 1, Haggai prophesied in the second year of King Darius in the sixth month on the first day of the month, or approximately 520 B.C. He didn't preach for a very long time, only three or four months. But what he said in those three or four months was very powerful. We have a record of what he said, in fact, in Haggai 1, verses 2 through 11. Haggai's message begins in verse 2 with an explanation as to why the Jews had not rebuilt the temple. Haggai says, thus speaks the Lord of hosts. This people says, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So evidently, the reason why the Jews did not resume rebuilding the temple was because they believed the time was not right. Now, there may, may be several reasons for this. First of all, Haggai began to preach during the harvest. That's implied in verse 6. And this is a time, of course, when the people were very busy. There was no time to start rebuilding the temple. Workers were needed not to build the temple, but to bring in the crop. Secondly, we know that the economy was not very good. It was a time of drought, as the Lord himself says in verse 11 of this chapter. Thirdly, the political situation was not at all favorable. We know from historical records from this period that the Persian army was preparing for an assault on Egypt, which was threatening to break away from the Persian Empire. And that meant all of the empire's vassals, including the people of Judah, were expected to contribute both money and men. And as such, this was no time to resume rebuilding the temple. But there's one more reason, and probably the most important reason, they were afraid. As we learned the last time, the Jews had already provoked the nations around them by laying the foundations of the temple. They didn't want to provoke them any further by building the walls. They certainly did not want to provoke the king of Persia, who ordered a stop to the work. They just wanted to live their lives in peace. And if that meant leaving the temple unfinished, well, so be it. Now Haggai, who lived among the people, was of course aware of all of this, and he addressed it head on. 
First of all, he rebuked them for their self-centeredness. He says in verse 4, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, a paneled house is a house that is adorned with wood on the inside. Apparently, many of the Jews were busy building beautiful houses for themselves, houses with paneled walls even. And Haggai condemns them for this. It's as if he's saying, how can you live in comparative luxury when the temple lies in ruins? Shame on you. Secondly, he informed them that this was the reason why they were not prospering economically. Verses 5 and 6, Haggai writes, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Now it's clear from this that inflation was running rampant. That's what Haggai is describing here. Prices were increasing while wages remained stagnant. Thirdly, Haggai urges them to resume rebuilding. In verse 7 he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. But then to urge them on, Haggai explained that the reason why they were suffering economically was because God's house lay in ruins. He quotes God as saying this, You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house, Therefore the heavens above you will withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and on the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. So God had sent a drought, and the people experienced the worst of it. But that's not all. Haggai not only rebuked them, he also comforted them. First of all, he assured them of the Lord's help and blessing. He says in verse 13, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. How wonderful this is. The obstacles were great. The enemies were strong. But God was with them. He would help them. Secondly, he predicted that the glory of this temple would be greater than the former. Chapter 2, verse 3, he writes, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? He was speaking about the temple of Solomon. And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work. For I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. 
For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. So Haggai predicts here that the desire of all nations would come to this temple. Who is this desire of all nations? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He would enter into this very temple, and as a result, it would be filled with glory. In fact, he says in verse 9, that the glory of this temple would be greater than the former, would be greater than the glory of the temple of Solomon, for this is the place where God would dwell in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, he assured them that the Lord would provide them with the necessary funds. He says in verse 8 of chapter 2, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. Since that is so, the people did not have to worry where the funds would come from. God would provide. Now how encouraging this must have been for them. There was a reason why they had to rebuild the temple. God had a plan, you see. And the plan was that one day he would send the desire of all nations, his only begotten and well-beloved Son, and he would fill this temple with glory and peace. And therefore they should not be afraid or become discouraged, but take up their task with joy and confidence and zeal, looking to the Lord to supply all of their needs. Well, two months after Haggai began to preach, Zechariah began to preach. Zechariah's message was very different from the message of Haggai. For one thing, it was conveyed in the form of visions rather than direct speech. For another thing, it was more comforting and less confrontational. Now, one passage in particular was very comforting. It was the vision of the lampstand and the olive trees, which we find in Zechariah chapter 4. One day, Zechariah saw in a vision a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it, and on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. And he says, two olive trees were by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. Now, when Zechariah said he did not know the meaning of this vision, God said this. He said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Well, the great mountain here are the obstacles that stood in the way of rebuilding the temple. This mountain, God says, as great as it is, would become a plain. It would be completely leveled. In other words, the obstacles would be removed, not by the power of men, but by the power of God working through his Holy Spirit. Following this, God says, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. And so the Lord here assures Zechariah that the temple would be rebuilt. Although it would not be anything like the first temple, he was not to despise the day of small things. For out of this small thing, God would make something big. Now, this is the means that the Lord used to rouse his people out of their spiritual inertia and to resume rebuilding the temple of the Lord. It was the word spoken by his prophets. 
Dear friends, that's the same means that God uses today. He uses His Word. He causes His Word to be proclaimed by the mouth of His servants. And when that Word is applied to the heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, it comforts, it instructs, and it energizes, and it rouses us from our spiritual slumber, ready and equipped and able to do the work to which the Lord has called us. Well, that was the case here as well. And that brings us to our second point. The preaching of Haggai and Zechariah had the desired effect. Within a short space of time, work on the temple resumed. And we read in verse 2 of Ezra 5, So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. So mention here is made of Zerubbabel and Jeshua. Zerubbabel, you remember, was the descendant in the line of David and also the governor of Judah. Joshua was a descendant of Aaron and also the high priest at that time. And these two men initiated the work of the temple some 16 years earlier. And now they take the lead in resuming it. But notice they did not do so alone. The prophets, presumably Haggai and Zechariah, it says, were with them helping them. Now, whether that means they actually took part in reconstructing the temple or whether they helped them by their encouraging words and preaching is not known. Perhaps they did both. Whatever the case, they helped and the people joined them. They came together as one man and they worked and they worked hard. And four years later, in the year 516 BC, the temple of the Lord was completed. The point is, the prophets preached and the people resumed building. And we learn here what great power there is in the word of God. Consider these Jews. As we've seen, they had many strong and valid objections to resuming work on the temple. The time wasn't right, they said. It was the time of the harvest when workers were needed in the fields. The economy was not doing so well. There was a drought. The crops were diseased. And perhaps most significantly, the powerful Samaritans were opposed to the project. They were doing everything in their power to put a stop to it. But when Haggai and Zechariah began to preach, all of these objections fell away. They heard the word of the Lord, and they responded to it in faith. Now that shouldn't surprise us, because there's power in the word. By the power of his word, God called forth everything that we see around us into existence. By the power of his word, the Lord Jesus Christ healed the sick, restored sight to the blind, and raised the dead. By the power of his word, which is the seed of regeneration, he brings dead sinners to life in Christ. He calls them out of darkness of sin and this world into the marvelous light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And so we see the same thing here. By the power of his word, the Lord stirred up the hearts of his people to resume rebuilding the temple. Now how do we explain this? Well, the explanation lies with the Holy Spirit of God. When the word of God is fully and faithfully proclaimed, as it was by Haggai and Zechariah, it is accompanied by the working of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God does one of two things. Either one, he hardens, confirming us in our unbelief, or two, he softens, bringing us to faith and repentance in Christ and causing us to respond in obedience to his demands. 
Now, in this particular case, he sovereignly chose to do the latter. But the point is, God works through his word and Holy Spirit. Not just through the word, not just through the Holy Spirit, but through the word applied by the Holy Spirit. Well, that said, let me ask you, what effect has the word, especially the preaching of the word of God, had on you personally? Maybe you're like these Jews in our text. You're in a state of spiritual inertia. You're making use of the means of grace. You're coming to church. You're reading your Bible. You're saying your prayers, but nothing's happening. Nothing changes. There's no progress. There's no development. Why is that? Well, when it comes to going to church, it may be that you're not coming prepared. Or your heart isn't in it. You're coming out of custom only and not with delight and expectation. Or you're allowing your mind to wander. Or you're not working with what you've heard by praying over it and talking to others about it. When it comes to Bible reading, it may be that you're not spending enough time poring over the word you just read. Thinking about it, pondering it, making connections to other passages and applying it to your life. Well, there may be many reasons why you're not growing. But one thing is certain. The fault lies not with the word. The writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews 4 verse 12 says this, The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Well, yes, my friends, there's power in the word. If it's not having the desired effect, the fault lies not with the word but with us. And so again I ask you today, what effect has the preaching of the word of God had on you? You know, ultimately how we respond to the word is how we respond to Christ, for he is the ultimate word. John 1 verse 1, John writes, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Who is this word? Well, it is Christ. And so if you fail to respond to the word, my friend, you're failing to respond to Christ. And if you fail to respond to Christ, that is to imperil your soul for an everlasting eternity. And so I say to you in all sincerity today, wake up. Rouse yourself from your spiritual slumber and inertia. Hear the word. Respond in faith that you may be saved and live to all eternity. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this same program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org.
www.frcna.org. That's www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can visit the donation section of our webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. There's a section there called Donations. You can simply put in a donation right there in that section. Please remember that the Lord would have his people come together to worship him. And for that reason, we urge you not to use this or any other radio program as a substitute for being an active, contributing member of a faithful, Bible-believing church. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.